This episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast is sponsored in part by Law Enforcement Labor Services in Minnesota. Law Enforcement Labor Services, also known as LELS, is Minnesota's largest public safety labor union with over 7,000 Minnesota public safety members serving in all areas of public safety. Law enforcement, 911 dispatch centers, corrections, public safety administrative support personnel, and firefighters. Established in 1977, LELS serves over 260 different public safety agencies and over 450 locals across the state of Minnesota. With their administration, general counsel, three staff attorneys, and 14 business agents, LELS provides contract negotiations for better wages and benefits, grievance processing and representation, discipline representation, mediation and arbitration, assistance with representation for post-board hearings, and in-line-of-duty death benefits for survivor families. Find out more about Law Enforcement Labor Services at LELS.org. LELS.org. Episodes of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast may contain strong language and violent content. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone, and welcome. I'm Sheriff Scott Rose from Minnesota, and I'm your host for today's new episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. He's walking eastbound, walking eastbound. In each episode of the Officer Down Memorial Podcast, we'll share the details and the stories of how these men and women heroically lost their lives in the line of duty. Our mission is to help ensure their service and sacrifice is never forgotten. Thanks for spending some time with me today to remember and honor these fallen heroes. Theodore Roosevelt was our 26th president of the United States. Now before our people can be taken seriously. It is, are the American people fit to govern themselves, to rule themselves, to control themselves? I believe they are. My opponents do not. Marion Robert Morrison was born on this year in Winterset, Iowa. He had become one of America's most famous actors and Western filmmakers, known on screen as the Duke or John Wayne. Go on, take a good look. But from here on in, you better be looking over your shoulder. You want to stay alive. In December of this year, the first electronic ball would drop in New York Times Square. The year was 1907. Less than an hour southeast of the Twin Cities, nestled along the beautiful bluffs along the Mississippi River, was the city of Red Wing, Minnesota. In 1907, the city's population was around 8,000 people. Immigrants from Germany, Ireland, Norway, and Sweden settled in this area and were skilled craftsmen. One of the industries born from these skilled immigrants was shoemaking. Charles H. Beckman founded a shoe company that quickly grew into an international shoe company that we know today as the Red Wing Shoe Company. The city is also well known for the country's first commercial pottery company, Red Wing Stoneware, founded in 1877. 
Their pottery was crafted from glacially deposited clay pits discovered years earlier northwest of the city. Pottery today known and searched out by collectors all over the country. The Red Wing Police Department was established 30 years earlier and by 1907 was well respected in this river community. James C. Daly had served as the city's police chief for the last six years. James was born in 1863 in Palmyra, Missouri, and came to Red Wing, Minnesota with his parents when he was a young boy. In Red Wing, he grew up and attended the public schools. After leaving school, he went west and worked in many of the different cities of the Rocky Mountains and Pacific Coast districts. However, most of his work was in Seattle and Butte. He became a skilled plasterer, and when he returned to Red Wing, he engaged in the same business. In 1902, James was married in February to Mary Dawson, a teacher at the training school. They had a son, James Dawson Daly, who was born on June 9, 1905. He was a member of St. Joseph's Catholic Church. He was also a member of several fraternal societies, as well as being very active in the community. James was appointed chief in 1901 at the turn of the century. James was a well-liked chief and steward in the community. He was a big-hearted man who they say was full of sympathy and came from the kindest impulses. As chief in Red Wing, he had the opportunity to meet all kinds of people in all walks of life. He met men and felt genuine interest in the humblest, the poorest, the most unfortunate, and the most unworthy. He looked beyond their distinctions, their labels, or their stereotypes, and he made friends with all that he came in contact with. He made friends, really, in all circles in Red Wing. He saw beneath all the distinctions that are more apparent than real in human society, and endeavored to meet every person whom he came in contact with and be their friend. These qualities bound him closer to the hearts of the people of Red Wing, and it's because of this that this community mourned his loss so sincerely. One of Chief Daly's senior officers was Officer John Peterson. John was a 50-year-old immigrant from Sweden and married Ann Johnson. They had five children and they were expected to celebrate their 25th anniversary this year. John, like Chief Daly, was active in the community, involved in various civic groups, including the Scandinavian Benevolent Society and the Degree of Honor. He and his family also were active members of the Presbyterian Church in Red Wing. John had been with the police department for 14 years and served in the capacity of patrolman his entire career. It was January 1907. August Bloom a barber, formerly from Red Wing, who was deemed insane by the state, had escaped from a train while being taken from the Minnesota State Hospital at Rochester to the incurable insane asylum at Hastings a year ago. This past year, he'd been doing manual labor jobs in Minneapolis. Then, he decided to return to Red Wing. 
Dr. J.V. Anderson, one of the physicians who served on the board that committed Bloom in Rochester, ran into Bloom, who was running around the town. Bloom, who recognized him, approached Dr. Anderson with a warning. You've got a present coming for me, and I will see that you get it. Dr. Anderson, understandably concerned, contacted the police and notified them of the threat. As the days passed, Bloom continued to roam the town, visiting several businesses and buying a number of articles. The shop owners recognized something was wrong and reported him to police, who were already watching him throughout the day. It was 6 p.m., January 15th. Bloom walked into the Sibley Hotel and sat in the lobby area for 15 to 20 minutes. He finally asked the proprietor if he could get a room for the night, and he registered at the desk. Bloom booked his room and left, returning shortly after 9 p.m. Chief Daly and Officer Peterson had been watching Bloom and followed him back into the hotel into the lobby. They approached Bloom and Chief Daly asked him how long he was staying in town and if he was going to go back to the Twin Cities. Bloom simply answered no and backed towards the counter in the hotel office. Chief Daly said to Bloom, I understand you've been threatening people. Bloom, still moving backwards, stepped into the doorway of the office that led to a hallway, then to the main stairway. Bloom told the chief, go away or I will... So you threaten me, do you? Said the chief as he was drawing his club from his belt. Officers back in those days were often equipped with a badge, a blue uniform, a British-style custodian hat, like shown in his picture on our website, and a baton, also known as a trenchion or nightstick, which is a club made of wood, rubber, plastic, or sometimes metal. It was carried as a compliance tool and defensive weapon by law enforcement officers. Often, back in those days, it was their only defensive weapon. Bloom, seeing the chief pulling his club, drew a revolver from his pocket, aimed point-blank at the chief in front of him, and pulled the trigger. The first shot misfired. Bloom pulled the trigger again. The second shot hit the chief in the left shoulder. While Chief Daly staggered back and was falling, Bloom fired a third shot, hitting the chief in the abdomen. Officer John Peterson, who was also only armed with a baton, retreated, running up the hotel stairs. Bloom fired around at Peterson, striking him in the back. Bloom then rushed out the doors of the hotel and into the night. Officer Peterson, gravely wounded, knew he needed to get help for Chief Daly. He left the hotel and went to the offices of doctors Kremer, Clayton, and Johnson and notified them of the condition of Chief Daly. Back at the hotel, the proprietor and a few men who witnessed the shooting tried to comfort Chief Daly, who was lying on the hotel office floor, writhing in pain. It wasn't long before the word spread and a crowd gathered outside the hotel. The chief, who was still conscious, told the men there, I think I'm gonna die. The city ambulance was called, responded, and transported both Johnson and Daly to St. John's Hospital. At the hospital, it was determined that there wasn't anything that could be done to save either of the officers, so family were summoned to be by their sides. 
During his last hours, Officer Peterson suffered a great deal of pain, but he was conscious to the end. He felt that his end was near. Although he hoped that his life might be spared, he was brave and he was calm, and at his bedside he conversed with his sons and other members of the family. He was cheerful and bade them to be of good courage, whatever the result might be. While he faced death cheerfully, he would have been glad of life, for he had much to live for. For those who knew the family, they knew that it was a home where the bonds of mutual sympathy, love, and faith were particularly strong. John died from his injuries a short time later. He left behind his wife, Anne, and five children. He was 50 years old and just a few years from retirement. In his last hours, Chief Daly was also conscious. All day long before he died, his mind was clear and he met the issue of death with the same fearlessness which he had met life. He expressed no malice towards the man who was the cause of his death. He only regretted that life could not be longer because of the love he bore for his devoted wife and son. In his dying moments, the chief's wife and son were at his bedside and his last wishes were for them. He was 43 years old. That next day, August Bloom was found asleep in a house on the outskirts of town. He was captured by a posse of officers, securely bound and brought back to town. Back in the early 1900s, under state law in Minnesota, Bloom would simply be returned to the asylum. No charges would ever be filed. Officer John Peterson and Chief James C. Daly were the first line of duty deaths recorded in the Red Wing Police Department. They are just two of Minnesota's many fallen heroes that are remembered and honored every May during Police Week by the Minnesota Law Enforcement Memorial Association and the Law Enforcement Memorial Foundation of Southeast Minnesota. If you get a chance, take a few minutes to visit our website at officerdownmemorialpodcast.com. There you can look at the pictures from this story and you can learn the stories about other fallen heroes. We're also available on all major podcast apps, so if they allow it, please comment and rate our stories. Showing your support of this program will help us reach more people and it'll give us the opportunity to share more stories of these amazing heroes and support their families that were left behind. Thank you for spending the time to listen, learn about, and honor the memory of this fallen hero. Make sure you take the time to thank your local law enforcement for their service and their sacrifice. And don't forget to thank their families too. They also sacrifice so much for our safety. It's up to us to help ensure the sacrifices made by these fallen heroes and by their families are never forgotten. So please share this podcast with family and friends. Until next time, this is the Officer Down Memorial Podcast. I'm Scott Rose. Thanks for listening.